This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, so you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. So we actually managed to grab the main hard drive. And this time it's intact. Ah, well, sure. I did not actually expect you guys to get it intact, but you rolled high enough, so you got it. And I broke their security last time, so pulling all the info off, it should be a cinch. True, true. But I thought you guys were going after the Bemisa Syndicate. We were, but then we got our hands on the hard drive. The Bemisa Syndicate could wait until later. Who knows what information's on this drive? I mean, there's got to be something super important on this for the Syndicate to risk all of that firepower to try and stop us. Maybe we'll probably find out what Magapatonium is. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, give me one second. Okay, all right, all right. All right, it turns out mm-hmm, uh, that you discovered that uh, Lord uh, Norris has commissioned a control band. Uh, this small circular band will allow him... Uh, control over all of the other cyber interfaces that are just dis- that he distributed to his team. All right. Well, then we got to destroy this circular band thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing about the band, right? So the band is made of megaphotonium. Um, of course. So it can only be destroyed in the heat of a class three star. Let me look at the map. Is there anything close? All right. So like, you you know, you go through your star charts and stuff and there's like, there's one, like a few parsecs from here. But it's guarded by like a big space station, like one that can um, that can destroy planets. Uh, it, um, it's called the Mortality Sphere. That sounds ominous. What sort of minions does he have? Well, um, he's got a group of test subjects that he's augmented uh, with cybernetics. Does the hard drive tell us what they can do? I mean, yeah, like you know, sift through the info, and uh, like one can generate laser blasts from his cyber eyes. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and then like another cybernetic wings, and there's a a kid with a cryo generator and a harness that allows him to coat himself in ice, and a girl who can use um, electro cybernetic waves to move things around with surges of force. Uh, and there's like another guy, like he's got huge cybernetic hands and feet, super agile, super strong, like in strong, um, and and a cyber tech, and um, their sergeant's a man um, who's like in a he's like in a techno chair. Um, uses cybernetic uplinks to read the thoughts of anyone that has, like, an implant. Wow. That's really quite the opposition. I like it. Uh, is that somebody at the door? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, we're expecting a guest to the session. Hi, gang! Hey, Craig. Craig! This workshop looks amazing. What are you up to? Well, apparently Bob and I took the story in our direction, so Phil is just giving us the details of his cyberpunk Lord of the Rings Star Wars X-Men enemies that we're about to face. Cool. And with that, welcome to the 436th episode of the Mr. Mark Podcast. Tonight, we are joined by Craig Campbell to discuss using media inspirations in your games. Along the way, we'll take your suggestions, comments, examples from the chat room for life before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. My name is Craig. And I am Old Man Logan. All right. Oh, all righty. So we do have a guest tonight, um, as you can see. on uh, If you're watching, if you're listening on podcast, you heard Craig. Um, but Craig... Um, why don't you introduce yourself? Because uh, we haven't had you here in a while. Like in pandemic time, it's like, oh, you were on here not too long ago for capers. But I got a feeling that was longer than I think. Right. <laughs> it's been a few years. Yeah. Um, 
and literally not just because of the pandemic, like where <laughs> it feels like fears. It's actually been a while. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a like 30 year RPG player and GM um, started in D and D, you know, I've moved into a lot of other stuff, particularly during the nineties in high school or in college um, when you've got actually time on your hands. Oh yeah. Um, at least, <laughs> at least I did. So lots of gaming, um, a lot of systems. Um, I started doing like a little bit of freelancing in 1999, kind of smattered throughout the 2000s, and um, that ramped up in uh, the late 2000s and into the 2010s, uh, where I, I did quite a bit of freelancing for Dragon and Dungeon Online um, during the 4th edition era, cool. and uh, when my 4th edition kind of freelancing started to wind down, I dove into like well i could you know kind of wait out and see what happens with this fifth edition thing and see where you know where i can latch on with that and do some D stuff or i can look for other freelancing gigs to kind of you know scratch the itch um or i can be a sucker and try to design and publish my own game uh which i did and so nerdburger games was established five years ago and i've uh designed and published um a number of games through that imprint um, and this is all, you know, a side gig. So I'm, uh, I'm an architect in real life and, uh, um, kind of a, a, a nut for horror, um, uh, sci-fi and fantasy as well, of course, uh, because like, you know, gamer, but, um, you know, the, the, the horror thing is, is something that's like, you know, I can't get enough of good horror movies as bad horror movies. Um, I've, I've rewatched plenty of them. Um, and that ties into a little bit of what, uh, um, I'll be talking about here tonight. Awesome. Yeah, so, my language, I love that. Yeah, Jerry's a <laughs> Jerry. Jerry loves a good horror film and a bad one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in in the um, in your listing of games, your catalog of games, what number game was uh, Capers? Capers was number well, as far as published games, it sure. was number number two. Okay, nice. And I like so like I know because um, I've like I've I've followed you through Twitter and IGDN and things like that. Like I like. You are you work a lot like, <laughs> like you are you are very hardworking like I like I am a very lazy publisher. You are like a very hardworking publisher. Um, <laughs> I've been told that I am prolific. Um, yeah, I'm, but I, I have I have the privilege um, such as it is of being unmarried without children. So that does a lot for the free time. I've got some free time on your hands. <laughs> All right. So I have one more question for you because you are an architect. So mm-hmm. I need to know, like, when you draw maps, like, are your maps like really good? Like, even when you're just kind of <laughs> winging it or like, or like, do you just like, like scribble something on the dry erase board and people are just like, is he really an architect? Like, <laughs> um, I, when I draw, when I draw something on the fly, it's usually pretty on the fly. Okay. Um, and I and I stick to the tropes of you know like if it's a dungeon it's gonna look like a dungeon. I'm not gonna sit there and, and worry about like oh, is this an accessible dungeon? Is this the you know right. this, how wide are the corridors? Um, you know, uh, uh, you know. But I I have joked many times about um you know dungeons are terrible for um complying with with building and accessibility codes. Oh yeah. Um, you know, lighting 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 levels in dungeons are terrible. Like you can't, you know, how how are you supposed to wayfind in there with with so little light? You have to bring your own light with you. Um, you never see dungeons with uh, with uh, like uh, big big chambers with stairwells and and uh, um, with you know adequate 
uh, guardrails to prevent no, no, never, somebody from right? falling over. Like you're lucky if there's a if there's a stone handrail um, on the edge of your uh, elevated gallery, you know. But to have a 42 inch tall guardrail to keep somebody from accidentally flipping over the top of it, you know, <laughs> it's not there. But then again, if you had that, it would be a little harder to uh, to flip the enemies over the top of it. Correct. Um, you might have to increase the DC uh, <laughs> to hoist somebody over the top of a proper guardrail. So yeah, it, but I, I will say this. Um, when I was heavy into designing uh, and writing adventures for um, wizards and for, for dungeon online, um, there were a number of times that I drew the map to give to the cartographer to actually turn into a really nice painting or drawing. Um, I drew that in AutoCAD. Nice. Um, I laid out a five foot grid in AutoCAD and I used AutoCAD tools to draw the walls and the doors and the windows and, um, and there was an adventure in particular that took place inside of a uh, ruined, um, basically a cathedral, like a big temple that was ruined, um, where there were a, in a, an appropriate number of privies that were located there <laughs> for the uh, <laughs> for the clergy who were no longer living there. That's awesome. Yeah, I, um, I that like that's always like one of my giant weak spots is a- anything to do like structurally like I am just I, one I'm terrible when I draw on a on a dry erase board and then two like if I have to make any of my own maps they're they're awful like I'm just it's, it's you don't have to worry about all that stuff when when you're dealing with fantasy it's magic how does that stand yeah. up how does that stay up magic yeah I just I'm I'm very much theater of the mind just kind of like yeah, it's a big room you guys like are with me good okay let's go for <laughs> yeah. that like, yeah. 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 No, I find that fascinating. Like, I think that's, um, that's great. Like that's, um, I mean, that is one of those things where, um, I always say that my, my love of Minecraft comes from being like a frustrated architect. Cause I like constantly just, all I want to do is build things yep. um, <laughs> during play, but can't really build anything. So this is like, well, that's the great thing about being an architect is I don't actually build anything. Either. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I yeah, tell other people how yeah. to build it. Yeah. yeah there Phil, you go. Phil, that's somebody with Legos. I sympathize with you. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm a project manager i don't actually do work i just tell people how to do work that's uh that's my secret okay cool we're gonna do we're gonna do a couple of announcements um and then we'll get into our main segment for tonight um i just have one uh misdirected mark announcement right our voyager watch party is now in week 11 um we are heading into season five again like there's no jump in point at this point um unless you've already seen the series uh but if you're, you know, but if you're a fan of Voyager and you just want to kind of hang with us, you know, like, you know, season five is we're heading into kind of like peak Voyager. Like there's some really good um, episodes coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks as we go through. I think we're taking like four weeks to go through season five. Um, they're all pretty solid. And again, if you want to play the home game and you want to just like, you know, you want to watch Voyager, but, you know, too far behind us, uh, just go to the forums, all of the week to week episode guides. Um, are in there so you can just follow along um, at your own pace um, and just, you know, watch and enjoy um, Voyager, except for that one episode. Don't watch the one episode. We tell <laughs> you in the in the notes which one it is. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Craig, I don't know about you. Are you uh, like we've we've gotten through the pandemic here on the show. Like we've actually gone through uh, Next Generation, um, Deep Space Nine, and now we're in the like middle of Voyager. Um, I've rewatched some, I haven't gone through like episode by episode, but I, I literally watched an episode of next generation just like an hour or two ago. Oh, nice. Um, I can't think of the title of it, but it's the one with the exocomps. Oh, I um, just, and, I watched that like data, data yep. has, you know, 
is is willing to protect them because he thinks that they've gained like a light. They've become a life form. They, yep. They're, they're yep. seeking to uh, protect themselves. That's a fantastic episode. It's it's a fun episode. And, yep. and it's, it's a, a great episode back. for continuity because it does call back to um, when Picard had to yeah. um, defend data. Measure of a man. Yep. Measure of a man. When, and when the exocoms uh, actually get called back. Individual individuality was was questioned. What? In the animated show Lower Decks, they actually do a callback to Exocomps. Oh, do they? <laughs> I really, I, I got I can't wait to sit down and watch Lower Decks. Like <clears throat> the number of callbacks when, in that. When you show. watch it, I want to be part of this watch party with you guys because I definitely want to watch <laughs> Lower Decks with you, Bill. Okay, I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch as a group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we 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 over the course of the pandemic, we took um, we had a handful of people in our chat room in our community who had never watched any Star Trek and were like, oh, I don't even know how like one gets into it or whatever. And so we were like, OK, you know what? We're doing Star Trek school like we're going to we're going to watch a couple episodes a week and we're going to have like a little discussion about them. And yep. we have um like uh, we have live tonight, like at 1130 Eastern. Uh, we actually meet up online um, for a teleparty and watch two episodes each week. And we've been doing that for about a year now. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've rewatched a little bit of Deep Space Nine as well. Um, I've dove into a few things that I've just been doing rewatches on. I did a rewatch on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, nice. Um, did, uh, did you watch Mayans yet? I have not. And I've, I've been tempted. There's like a part of me that's like, I don't know if the Mayans really, you know, like they weren't that interesting to me when I watched Sons of Anarchy. But that, but then, like, wh- why, why am I thinking that? Because, like, well, now it's the show about them, so it's certainly it's going to be very fleshed out, yeah. and it's not going to be just, you know, just one or two characters that we kind of got to know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably dive into it at some point. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I watched, I watched like four or five episodes and then kind of lost track of it, but it was, it was really good, and that, um, the, the cast is really good as well. Is, so. is Kurt Sutter show running it? Or is there somebody else? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'll have to maybe we'll Google it in between. All right, I'm going to steer us back now because we're drifting. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is where Bob gets us back on track. This is why I don't put any of the other opening parts of the show in. See, this is what happens because we just start talking <laughs> to our guests. Um, I mean, but Craig, good, you but are actually yeah. here. We have you here. Um, this is a kind of a cool occasion because we get you here for uh, two different yeah. um, products in two different parts of the production life cycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us first, first start us off with good, strong hands. Uh, sure. Good, strong hands kickstarted, um, back last year and, um, is, is like this close to, uh, to being published. And it's just kind of taken a hit from, uh, well, COVID struck again with, uh, you know, delays with the printer. Um, so I was hoping that it was going to be out by the time we talked, it's looking like it's going to be next month. So people keep an eye out. Um, it's basically, uh, like a dark, darkly whimsical, uh, fantasy game about saving your fantastical world. Uh, you portray, uh, fantasy creatures, um, or, uh, like newly arrived human allies who are struggling to uh, s- uh, protect your world of reverie from destruction at the, at the hands of this malevolent faceless entity called the void. And, uh, it, you know, it, it builds on shades of never ending story, legend, uh, willow labyrinth, uh, kind of like the, the 80, eighties, uh, fantasy movies of my youth. Um, which, you know, in, in examining all of this, that there was like, there was this sense of whimsy to all of them, but there was like oftentimes like this weird darkness to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of built, you know, in, in, in keeping with like talking about, you know, transposing media 
into a game like that's you know that was the inspiration for good strong hands was kind of creating um you know the the rpg version with you know inspired by those things yeah i feel like that's a very 80s thing right like it, being a child of the 80s as well like like here's your whole childhood but also maybe nuclear war <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and you'll survive it by going into the hallway and putting your you know, head down in your hands yeah. over the top of yeah. your head. Yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> All right. So that was I, good I mean, strong hands. There we go. Bob's on track. He's keeping us moving. <laughs> good, good, good. So that, all right, so that one's almost out, um, already yep. been kickstarted, you, you know, and, and again, right. It's just the, um, the world we live in right now with dealing with shipping and things like that. Yep. Your new one is actually in the middle of its Kickstarter right now, right? Correct. All right. Fun. Tell us about, tell us about Nowhereville. Um, Nowhereville is uh, my love letter to mostly Stephen King stories, like particularly particularly like the first half of King's career um, in particular kind of focused on the the stories that um, were centered in and around Castle Rock, like the idea of this town where all of these terrible things happen, um, you know, in, in the town itself and in the you know immediate vicinity, there's monsters and there's horrendous people. Um, doing terrible things. And there's like all this small town mentality of, of grudges that are held um, and uh, people who feel, feel this fierce ownership of this home that they live in, even though it's really not something you probably should feel that way about. Uh, and for, for Nowhereville, I just kind of built the idea of this town that these horrible things happen in. And it, the town won't let you leave. Like there's something that prevents you from leaving. You'll, you'll get sick. Um, and it could eventually kill you if you leave the town for, for more than a day or two. Um, so these, these characters are trapped there and these bad things are happening, but most of the characters are forgetting what happens. Like they're just like the, the, the terrible thing happens and it's immediately and it's there and there's the aftermath of it. And then a short time later, everybody just sort of forgets and the, and the bad things continue to happen because nobody fights. Um, and then you play characters who, for whatever reason, start to remember these things nice. and also know that you're trapped in the town and you, you make your choice of like how you're going to stop these bad things from happening and, and fight back against the, the horrors of Nowhereville. I like, I like that idea that like that everybody just like forgets. Cause you know, that's one of those things you always wonder is like, how do, um, like, why would anybody like, I mean, you've, you've kind of nailed it all up, right? Why would anyone stay? Well, people can't leave. They'll get sick. And then why wouldn't they, you know, um, do something about it, but they don't remember. Yeah. Why, why, why do the characters in Bon Tom in, um, in true blood, why do they keep living there? Right. Like there's just constant carnage monsters. It's the town is a monster magnet. Um, and they even kind of address it on the show, like kind of late in the run of the show, but yeah. So, and, and it's, it comes out of like, you know, in, in, uh, if you've seen the movies, it's that it's, it's present there too, in the, in the novel, it, um, the, the, they're, like bad things happen and the adults notice and they just kind of ignore it and nobody ever really learns from it and everything, it, it, these bad things just kind of continue. Um, and, um, you know, it, it borders on the potential of role playing, um, reliving trauma and, you know, finding a way to, to deal with that trauma by, by fighting back against it. In this case, it's, you know, kind of in a literal sense of, uh, you know, fighting back against the town that has, has done these terrible things. But, um, yeah, there's, uh, and then, you know, it's all laced through with like, you know, small town tropes of politics and, and, 
uh, you know, uh, people holding grudge, like I said, people holding grudges and people, um, who, uh, uh, you know, are willing to lash out at other people. Um, because it's hard to get over something. And I grew up in a small town and I've seen this firsthand. It's hard to get over something when you're constantly reminded sure. of the thing that happened or the person that did something to you because you're stuck in the town of 3000 people and you see them all the time. So that, you know, that's, that sort of thing just festers. Right. And then, and just, and then like, it's just a constant accumulation of like one little thing. And it's just, after- a, right. And it's a matter of time before somebody just does something bad. Right. And that's what the uh, that's what the evil genders are prey on in most of those stories too. Yeah, that way you can cool. tip over. Yep, very nice. And so this is in Kickstarter right now. Yep. yep. So tell us a little bit about the Kickstarter. <laughs> the Kickstarter is really straightforward. I kept it really slim and lean. Um, it's uh, the game is written, play tested, edited. Uh, the art is is ready. Um, and I'm, I'm starting like the, 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 the basics of layout is figured out and I'm starting into like actually doing like, you know, putting in the time of doing the actual layout. Um, and so like the, the intent here is to turn over the Kickstarter fairly quickly and get the, the product out. Um, the, uh, there's one backer level, that's a $20 PDF and you'll get a link to, uh, purchase a soft cover or hard cover. Um, and then, you know, whatever PDF support materials and things go with it. Um, I just decided just like everything up front, like everything's ready to go. Um, so this, so like updates have been less about stretch goals and more about just revealing little secrets sure. of, of what's inside the game. I, I mean, I, I mean, I love Kickstarters like that, right? I love, um, I love, I, I love simple Kickstarters. I love, you know, um, I mean, I don't mind really complex ones either, but there is something about, um, there is something about a very flat, um, very flat Kickstarter. That's like, okay, we're just going to go th- like, like we're right in. This is easy to understand. I'm getting this thing. Um, the fact that you already have most, like it's done, yeah. right. Is another, that's thing really, a, that's really important. That's a big, big thing for me is a done Kickstarter. That's I something do, I've, I've focused on quite a bit. Like generally speaking, when I go to Kickstarter, it's at the very least it's written, play tested and generally edited. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, we've done like we've done the same thing, I, and I like and I like that, right? I like, I like the idea that like, look, it's a thing. We're just like we need money to make it into a thing you you would want to look at. <laughs> right. The game the game exists, but let's make it a pretty game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where everything yeah. is really organized well, and I don't misuse a lot of commas like Phil. Oh, that's uh, it's my specialty. Serial Although Grammarly, Grammarly has been doing wonders for attacking that. It has. Um, and slowly and slowly training it out of me, like over time, grammar, like I'll catch it before <laughs> Grammarly does. I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's not supposed to be there. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, boy. Right. Um, yeah, you're on to our shtick. Um, <laughs> good. All right. So that's up. That's um, I know we put a, we just put a link in the chat. There'll be a link in the show notes. Um, so it'll be everywhere. And when does it, when does it finish running? Uh, it finishes up in, it's about halfway right now as we're, as yeah, we're recording. So it finishes left. up on what the, um, the first, the, the first Thursday in, in June, whatever that works out to. I don't know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, that's good. Cause then you're like in the, um, what we, you know, we're in the doldrums part of Yeah, the, it's, well, it's, it, yeah, it's completely funded. So everything it's right now, it's just kind of chugging along. June 3rd. Yeah, that's perfect. So, yeah. I mean, that's a really nice place to be when you get into the middle of the Kickstarter. It's funded. It's like, you're good to go. Ooh. Yeah. It's nice. Cool. All right, good. Well, then, then we're going to, um, we're going to jump over to our feature segment yeah. and, uh, we're going to head into the workshop 
to talk about getting um, inspiration from different media. All right, here we go, Phil. Oh, okay, hang on. Workshop, workshop. We're going to go look at another media. We're going to go check out comic books, movies, books. We're going to pull in ideas. We're going to put them into our games. We're going to make them cool because we need inspiration. Don't suck. Don't suck. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. All right. It's not my best so, one. Not my best yeah. one, but it was pretty good. Take a sip. So tonight's workshop is going to be about how we get inspiration from different media. Because while role-playing games are, in effect, their own form of media, and can be their own source of inspiration, most GMs and game designers get inspiration from other media, from books, movies, comics, video games, etc. Um, and this practice goes back to the origins of the hobby itself. Even D&D's original inspirations were captured in Appendix N of the Dungeon Master's Guide. So, tonight we're going to hang out with Craig and talk about how to take inspiration from other media and how to work them into your game. All right, and of course, to get started with that, we need some definitions from Phil. So, behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Just, just like Craig knows, we did not write that one ourselves. That was uh-huh. <laughs> Todd Crapper gifted us that audio. Yep. That was <laughs> thanks, Todd. All right, I got a few definitions for tonight um, that we'll probably wind up kicking around at some point or another during the um, during our discussion. The first one, obviously, is inspiration, right? The process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. Um, in terms of RPGs, right, this is when um, something makes you want to work on your game, be it as a designer, a GM, or a player, right? So um, when we talk about inspirations, we're not just talking about inspiration for game designers uh there are plenty of media that uh inspire gms or uh media that inspire players for ideas for their characters and the like so inspiration um often comes with positive feelings right when we're inspired we're usually pretty energetic about it and this helps with emotional investment all right next uh next top next word trappings the outward sign features or objects associated with a particular situation, role, or thing. This might be things like specific terminology, descriptions, names, things like that. Um, so, like the idea from uh, like a so the idea from like a genre is going to also have like trappings from where it came from. Like, for instance, like a lightsaber has a very sp- like the trappings of the lightsaber is the name lightsaber, but like an energy sword is like the more generic version of that. Uh, tropes, figurative or metaphorical use of word or expression, right? We've talked about tropes a lot on the show in the past. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, the hacker is a common trope in like a group, you know, with a group of criminals who are on a heist, right? Nowadays, you always have a hacker with you. Um, and, you know, tropes aren't bad um, because tropes are shortcuts. Like they help us, um, they help us like cue into uh, what a thing, like what a media, um, what a story or whatever is about when we hit on those, when we hit on those tropes. Uh, next one is pastiche, an artistic work in a style that imitates that of another work, artist, or period. Um, in the context of tonight, that's going to be being inspired by some media and making something that's exactly like it. Um, and then finally, a phrase that we've always, like, we've kicked around a lot here as well, filing off the serial numbers. Right. This is just a phrase that means to remove the trappings of an idea so that its origin isn't immediately recognizable. Uh, And we'll talk about why that might be important uh, in a few minutes. All right. So with those definitions in place, let's talk about the general act of drawing inspiration from other media. Jerry, what can you tell us? 
Well, when we draw inspiration from other media for role-playing games, this is going to be most likely either spontaneous or intentional. When it's spontaneous, you're often consuming the other media, and you get an idea to use it in your game or make a game from it. That, ooh, that would be really cool, or I like that historical chunk, we're going to use that. But when it's intentional, you already have an idea of something you want to create, then you look for media you can consume to draw inspiration from. Like if you're going to do a mecha game, you might decide to look at things like Mobile Segundum or Robotech to get some idea of what you want to draw from. Neither way is better than the other, and most people do both at different times. So, Craig, this is a question for you. For both Good Strong Hands and Nowhereville, tell us about how you were inspired to make both games, the media that inspired you, and if it was spontaneous or if it was intentional. Um, well, I think with I think they were probably both intentional in, in that like I was looking to you know, kind of design a game, and I had like a general genre of thing that I kind of wanted to do. I wanted to do a horror game. I, at one point, for example, with Good Strong Hands, I told myself, oh, you know, when I started doing this, which if I'm going to make a fantasy game, it's going to be something that isn't kind of traditional swords and sorcery fantasy. There's plenty of that out there. I don't need to compete with 50 other games. Um, so it was, you know, looking at like just different fantasy things that I, you know, different fantasy subgenres and movies and books and things that I knew that, that struck me. Um, and that, you know, kind of, you know, resonated with me personally. And that's where I just kind of, you know, it was, it was looking through, um, uh, uh, skimming through it was it was either Amazon Prime or Netflix and coming across like oh there's you know uh, uh, um, the never ending story and that's kind of you know that was the initial thought and then you know I just kind of hit on those other 80s movies um, that are kind of you know in the similar vein and um, you know I've joked that and it's not it's kind of a joke but it's not really a joke but like the Artax scene in Neverending Story um, affected me to the level that 30 years later I made a game where you can save our tax um, because in the movie you don't get to. <laughs> um, spoilers. So, yeah, spoilers for a movie that's, you know, three decades old. Um, but you know, people know that's, that, 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 that's a scene that whenever I've talked about this, it resonates with people. It's like that was like when I was, a, I was young and I was kind of like they, they killed, you know, ostensibly the main character's best friend. <laughs> and it's and like well, sh certainly this is a magical world certainly artax isn't dead artax will come back something will happen um nope <laughs> um and so you know just it, it just like it made me look at you know and then take the time to examine those different movies and some of the things that they had in common and turn that into a game um into uh, you know so it's decidedly a fantasy game but not um kind of straight up swords and sorcery kind of fantasy um, with Nowhereville, it was, uh, I had, I had done Die Laughing, which is kind of a horror comedy game. Um, and it's very broad. Um, but I wanted to do something for horror that was more, you know, like was more straight up horror. Like, okay, this is going to be like bad things happen and the characters have to deal with monsters and horrible situations. And it's not, you know, tinged over with, with tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek humor or anything. Um, and uh, it's been a while since I read um, a, much Stephen King because I read a lot in his early first half of this of his career. Um, but I think it was probably the the It movies that got me thinking about that again. And I started kind of examining all those stories and I rewatched some of the other movies. Some of them are kind of stinkers. Some of them are pretty good. Um, and uh, you know, just just built out on that idea. And we've already kind of touched on the idea of like, you know, why, why would people stay in this town if terrible things happen? 
um, and how that was kind of inspired by it. Um, and, uh, you know, I just found, uh, like, like Phil said, you know, like I, I, I nailed down a very specific reason, like you can't because you get sick, but there's, you know, there's actually a little bit more to that. And there's, um, you know, things about the town, um, and about the character archetypes that you play that are also inspired very much by Stephen King kind of stuff. So it was just finding the, what bits and pieces of that I wanted to translate into a game and, you know, without like using characters like right out of the stories i think what's fun when you're doing like intentional um when you're doing like that kind of intentional work is like i mean and it's like one of the fun things for being um you know either a writer or game designer or whatever is like you're like nope i have to watch this movie i'm doing research yeah like <laughs> yeah i mean i i love those things where you just you know um I don't know about you. Like I get into this kind of, um, I do this even when I'm just running games. Like I get whatever the genre of the game is. Like I start to binge up media. Like I just start consuming media about it. So I can just kind of get really comfortable with, you know, the general tropes for, you know, for something. And, um, I just like, I, I wind up like running down a rabbit hole of, of, you know, it starts, it starts innocently enough. Like oh, I'm going to run an espionage game. I think I'll just watch some born. Then I've like watched all three born movies. Right. <laughs> the other ones are okay, but the first three, right. Like, and then, you know, immediately on to like the next, you know, Oh, now I should watch, you know, Homeland or I should watch the, you know, and just start drifting through. So I don't know if, I don't know, is your process like that? Like, is it just like, does it snowball as you kind of get into it? I did that. I did that to an extent with both of these um, where, I started watching, you know, uh, particular movies, um, or just doing some research and just reminding myself, like, you know, what, what some of the things that were happened in some of, in some of the Stephen King books and, um, thematic elements that you see that, um, kind of show up in King stories in the small town stories quite a lot. And, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I used, like, for example, with good strong hands, I started with, um, legend and um uh the never-ending story and i modeled character archetypes and in, in playbooks for the game on very much unlike characters right out of the movie like there are there there are uh playbooks in there in the in the game that are like oh that's clearly sir didymus from labyrinth or that's clearly the pixie um uh from uh uh legend um because they're like they literally have like abilities that are kind of like right from the story um but then also there came a point where I kind of got into the mindset and I kind of like, okay, now I understand what I want this game to be, where this game is taking me. And that opened up um, developing other things that weren't directly inspired by the, uh, the, the media. There might be like every so often like an idea for like, here's a cool scene. I should make sure that like some sort of character can do that sort of cool thing that's in the scene, but it, you wouldn't necessarily recognize it as being a, a, a straight homage to that character. Nice. Um, where cool. it just like, I got, you know, got, got into the zone about halfway through uh, playbook development and like, okay, now they're all just kind of coming. It's like, Oh, now I want to do a monster. You know, I want to do a, a, a fantasy race. That's like this. And I want to do a fantasy folk. That's like that. And <laughs> it's built out from there. Cool. Awesome. All right, so getting that rush of inspiration is great, but Phil, how do you go from something inspiring you into something that you can use in your game for publishing? Sure, right. So um, we, you know, we need to start talking about um, as you're getting that inspiration, what to take, what not to take, right? What to leave behind, um, and you know, there's a number of reasons you shouldn't just copy things directly into your game. 
um, from a designer's perspective, right? There's things like copyrights and trademarks and laws and stuff. So like you just, you know, you can't just directly lift certain things out, um, you know, out of media and things like that. Um, from a GM's point of view, um, you know, in most cases, if you're worried about lift, about lifting things directly, it's, um, you know, a lot of it is either one that your players don't directly recognize it for what it is and kind of then know what the, you know, what happens next. Um, but it also, there's a need to actually get it to fit into your game world, right? Like one can, um, you know, one can be inspired by the Kumite from Bloodsport, but you need to kind of, you know, fix it up a little before you put it into your own TMNT game. True story in high school. Did, totally did that. Um, so there's a need to take that source of inspiration, kind of extract from it the thing that is giving you the inspiration um, and get it into something more generic so that you can get it into your game. Um, so we're going to focus on that first part, which is the process of like looking at other media and understanding what we find inspiring. Right. So, for instance, like we might be watching John Wick and feel inspired to make our own modern action RPG from it. But like, what are our inspirations from that? Right. Was it that we just really like the high octane action? Um, did we like the shadow world of like the high table, like the the currency and all like the secret places that like oh, that currency opened up? You know, was it a combination of those things? Like, you know, what like when we're designing, we want to kind of know like what like what are we being inspired by um, so that we can pick it up and take it with us? So looking at a source of inspiration and identifying tropes and other elements um, is both intuitive, right? There's just things we're going to pick up on as we're watching it. And some of it's deliberate, like it's actually doing the study of like looking at a piece of media and saying, okay, why am I getting such a rush from this scene or this trope? Like, what is this doing? Like, why is it like, why is it like, why is it getting me this way? And how can I get that out and into uh, my game. So, uh, coming back to you, Craig, um, for both of your games, can you like can you elaborate on that? Can you give us some examples of like how you kind of like like you know went through the media and like looking for things to pull out? Sure. Um, well, with good strong hands, you know, I, I I hit I hit on like you know where I pulled like the the, the fan, fantastic creatures, the fanta you know fantasy races from some of these different movies. Um, you know, there's the, there's the wildkin who are anthrop anthrop ah, anthropomorphized mammals um, where if you read the talents, like, well, that's clearly Sir Didymus um, from Labyrinth. Um, <laughs> there's like, you know, you could, you could sort of recreate him. Um, that's cool. But, uh, but then there's also like, you know, you, you can be an otterkin or um, a rabbitkin. Um, so, you know, you can be a, you know, a bunny person or an otter person. Um, the one that like, I think that, that, was the driving force for good strong hands was the nothing from um, never ending story, which is, you know, like it's just this, it's represented by this just roiling cloud of blackness. And the idea that we, that we hear about, like, you know, the tree forest are crumbling and everything's falling apart. And um, the world is, is succumbing to this, this entropic force that's destroying everything. And it hit, it, it struck me, you know, okay. So that's a great, kind of uber villain that the that the characters can be fighting against but then it also struck me that in some of these movies there's a certain melancholy um to the stories where um the characters are kind of infused with a sadness of of like the impending doom 
and how 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 horrible this is. Like we see Rockbiter um, lamenting his un, his inability to to stop the the nothing with his big good strong hands, and um, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. And I thought, well, you know, how can I instill the idea of this melancholy that like you know, like can, how can I put uh, an emotional spin on what I'm what I'm creating? And that was to you know, turn the, the void into something that happens every couple hundred years. The, the characters are going to fight <laughs> back and stop the void from destroying the world. And then in another century, somebody else is going to have to stop it again. You can't actually stop the void. And what is implied in that is that someday the void is going to win. Someday the heroes that rise up to fight back against it are going to fail. And so you're kind of fighting a losing battle in the long game um and so i i I didn't go so far as to like explicitly lay that out but like Mm. i put all the clues into the game that people at least some players um who 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 read that the information that's provided and how it's presented will kind of get the the idea that like okay this is like i'm fighting for the world now but there is a sadness that like someday this isn't going to someday this is going to end the loss of innocence. Yeah. And, and, and sure. And having characters who recognize that you could have characters that have a, a, you know, you can, a, a character that easily started, you know, being like really uh, positive and, and thinking, okay, well, let's go out there. We can do this. We can, you know, cure the world and we can stop the void. And by the end, they realize that this has just been this long slog of a battle and it's just going to happen again. Um, so, and here comes the train, everybody. So while I'm talking, um, <laughs> um, but it's like with, perfectly in the background. Yeah, really with, good. <laughs> with Nowhereville, um, there's um, and this isn't so much from uh, the, the the small town stories, but it it comes into play a little bit here and there. But especially with like any of the stories that are the dark tower series and ones that are kind of connected to the dark tower, because King has managed to weave damn near every one of his stories into a cosmology. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he refers to and comes back to constantly is the purpose and the random. Uh, These are these primordial forces. The purpose is the, what the world is, how it's moving forward, how it should be, what's good about it. And the random are the things that seek to undermine that. And, creatures and monsters and people are sometimes sort of defined in the stories as being um, agents of the purpose or the random Um, in it. The the Pennywise is an agent of the random um, explicitly defined sort of that way in the book. And there's another entity that's referred to in the book that we don't really see in the movies. Um, This turtle, this cosmic great cosmic turtle that is an agent of the purpose um, that opposes it. And so I wanted to like, okay, I want to take those two ideas and really like we see them in, in D and D and other games, like it's law and chaos, right? We've seen the, the alignment chart. Um, but I wanted to approach the idea. Well, what about, what, what, what about having a way for characters to ally themselves as agents of the random or the purpose? And so in the game, there's a track of 10 check boxes that you start with your character. You start with one of the middle two boxes checked. And as the game plays, depending on things that happen in the game, you move one direction or the other on the track. And one direction is toward the order and one direction is toward the chaos. And your character becomes better and better at fighting monsters 
um, if they move toward order and they become better and better at hiding um, and, and deceiving monsters, um, if they move toward the other direction and they, they gain some abilities. And there comes a point where they kind of reach the end of that track. Um, and then uh, when they go off the end of the track, something else happens. Um, and they reset themselves and they have to recommit themselves to are they going to be an agent of the random or the purpose? Oh, that's cool. The, the order or the chaos. Um, and so it was a way to bring that concept into the game without it just being like, oh, and by the way, this monster is an order is, is a monster of chaos. And this this NPC is an is an NPC of uh, of of order, but actually giving it like a mechanical bent. And allowing, love, and allowing characters to explore that a little bit. And I love the idea that um, I love the idea that even after you even after you've gone over in one direction, that there's a reset. It's not like and your character is hopelessly lost to one side of this conflict. Like you've got like you get to you get to like kind of um, I guess something dramatic happens and then you get to like recommit yourself. Yes. And, you know, maybe you go the other direction this time or maybe you recommit yourself to going the same direction you went last time. Sure. Which is, I mean, which makes, which makes for great drama, right? Like after everything that happens, you're like, I got to change my ways or nope, you know, <laughs> like, nope, that was good. I'll just do more of that. Yep. Right. And just, you know, yeah, yeah and, that's... and it, I give you mechanical stuff and then you just tie your own personal preference of like, well, how does this reflect in my character? Um, as far as role playing goes, like what, 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 what changes about my character when they embrace the chaos a little bit? Oh, that's cool. cool. That's very cool. I like that. All right. So now that we have those things identified, how do we take that and change it into something for our games, Jerry? First off, we're going to try to file off the serial numbers. In the simplest terms, this is where we, <clears throat> what we call file serial numbers. It's the act of breaking down a piece of inspiration and removing any trappings while retaining what made it the inspiration in the first place. It's going to require both an understanding of what made it inspirational, which the film Craig just talked about, as well as understanding the trappings that need to be removed in order to make it work in your game. And there is a bit of an art to this. Uh, there are times you want to scrub something completely clean and just use the source of the inspiration, like a trope or generic form of the element, um, like being by being inspired by, to have like a lightsaber, but just have it as all sorts of weapons made of energy instead of just a single sword that has uh, an energy field. And there's times when you want to evoke the source material in your game, it only makes small changes to the element. So if you want to make your John Wick-inspired game, Maybe everybody has black metallic coins as the underground currency in the underworld. Um, similar to the gold coins, but in this case, they're black and they're metallic, and it gives a different totally feel. Totally different. But everybody's, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know what you're referring to, and immediately be able to identify with that trope and what to do with it next. So, with that in mind, Craig, in either game, can you give an example of a time when you abstracted the source of inspiration to incorporate in your game, and another time when you took something and only made very, very small changes? Um. Well, I, I kind of hit on some of these things, but just uh, because they were, you know, the thing, some of the big things that were running through my head. But um, like the cover of Good Strong Hands, and I've got proof copies for the drive-through RPG version. I don't know if you can. A little hard to make out in the light and everything, but there's a person over, over uh, here, okay. and there's another person up over here, and they're helping somebody get pulled out of muck, out of black. Like there's okay. muck that's trying to drag them down. That is straight up a tray you saving our tax just with different characters. I mean, it's literally like, okay, I'm going to put that inspiration right on the cover of the book. 
um, it, people will, I think, I think some people will look at that and say, oh, that's just, you know, you just swapped out characters, but it's like literally just doing the same thing, um, which mm-hmm. I, I use, you know, it's the cover of the book. It, the intention there is that it's going to tell you what you need to know about the game. It's going to be like something that's going to, um, you know, it, it, the, the artwork on, on a book's cover con- it, it hopefully conveys a lot about what the game is about. Um, and uh, there's clearly a struggle going on. And it's it's it seems it's some, it comes across as inspirational because it's two people helping somebody else out. Um, you think that they're probably going to be okay, but it's clearly our tax um, <laughs> being pulled into the swamp. Um, and uh, let me think. I, I already talked about Sir Didymus. I'm trying to think. Is there another another spot where I took um, the source of inspiration where I abstracted it out to practically just almost being gone? Um, off the top of my head, I'm, uh, uh <clears throat> yep. There's no pressure. Like, yeah. <laughs> Feel free to talk. I'll see if I'm going to scroll here and see if something jumps out at me again. And yeah. Go, oh, I mean, I, that. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I mean, I'll comment on the cover. Right. So I, I like, I think it's a really smart idea. Like the, I, you know, the idea being is that one, um, for people who are familiar with the familiar with the genre, like they're going to pick right up on that. Right. And it's, and it's, it's veiled enough that it, 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 you know, it's a unique cover, but then it's, um, it's been left intact enough that people are going to be like, I know what this is about. And therefore I understand a lot. Like I understand a lot of what this game is going for based on the, based on this cover. So it's a really, um, it's a really nice way. It's a really nice use of tropes, right? Like it's a really nice way to kind of convey a lot of information um, in a very compact, in a very compact way. Um, and for people who don't, who aren't familiar with the genre, like they're just going to pick up on the idea of like struggling and saving people. And and that also works in your advantage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think like you don't lose, you don't lose on that one. It's not right. It's not such an obscure reference that if people don't know immediately what it is, they're not going to understand anything. It works for you, at, you know, at the surface level. And then it works, you know, it, like you know it works as you get deeper into it yeah and the, the the characters that are helping the their their companion out of the muck are are literally doing it with their good strong hands like they're right. they're, they're reaching out with their hands and and saving somebody's life did you just write that right into the art order like, did you write, like- <laughs> um it's 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 been too tempting to use like you know and save the world with your good strong hands to like right. use that line that like that's on the back of the book you know um uh, it'll be in you know in in uh marketing blurbs and things um but something that hit me about the about nowhereville actually was the the abstraction of like i looked at all the you know looked looked at all these different characters from these stephen king um small town Mm -hmm. stories and i didn't try to recreate um any specific character um or 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 like more i know i didn't try to recreate a specific character archetype what i found myself realizing was that Many of these characters, one of the things um, among many that you can boil the character down to, you can find like, what is the character's relationship with the town that they live in? Um, Are they the old timer that's been there forever and that's seen everything? Are they the kid that is kind of like untouched by the, the bad things that go on? Are they the pillar of society? Like where like the whole everybody in the town kind of knows them and they're important to the town. Like if they stop doing what they do, the town would suffer. And that became all the archetypes. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you're necessarily going to pick up on. It's like I don't I don't make allusions to Sheriff Pangborn specifically or to, you know, Sheriff Bannerman or to. 
um, uh, 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 you know, gauge creed or, or, you know, I, I, I don't, yeah. they're, they're not overt, but like mm-hmm. the, the archetypes are these very simple, um, like this is how, this is what your character's relationship is with the town. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And I mean, especially since you're putting such an um, emphasis on small town, right. That's that small town mentality. Um, having those like iconic individuals, like, you know, there's the person, like there's the person who, oh, like I grew up in a small town and one of my, one of my friends, um, when, it, when I was growing up and I didn't know this until I went to his house one day, um, I, and I, it never, it never clicked to me. He had the same last name as like seven different, um, seven different businesses in town. And then like, it came out like one day, like I was like in fifth grade or something, like his family founded the town. Right. Like they originally owned all of the land um, that all of those businesses were just relatives of his in one form or another. And then like eventually they all got sold off. But like streets were named after like his family, like all of those things. It never clicked with me when I was little um, until like I was at his house and his like, you know, I don't remember how we got into it. But like his parents brought out this scrapbook and had all these pictures of like the town being formed. But and it was very much one of those things. Like he was like town royalty. Hmm. Like he came from like the descendants of the town kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, he was, he was, he was a child of the town. Yeah. Yep. Not, exactly. Not just of these people. Like there, there's, yeah, there's a greater, that's, that's a good archetype. <laughs> oh yeah. Feel Maybe free. Th- throw that together real quick. Yeah. Toss it in the game. Yeah. Like, I mean, his family knew like everything about like, oh, that place, it used to be this thing. Like, yep. you know, oh, our, you know, like, oh, his great grandfather, he owned like that was a that was his farm and then he sold it. Now it's a golf course, like cool. all of the Like that was like that was like what was like hanging out with them. That was my roommate's father when I was in college. I the one who I worked for, like his his family owned all of the uh, grocery stores and things like that in town. They all had their names on them. And when, when I worked at his dad's store, his dad's owned that store, all the other houses on the block. And all of the other houses on the adjacent blocks. So in like a in like a five by five grid, he owned all that property. So a lot of these people were his tenants and so on. And even though he was very much a kind of Dave Thomas from uh, Wendy's kind of Oshops guy, he actually wielded a lot of power and decision making in that town and just kind of played off his knuckles. At least he was <laughs> Dave <laughs> Thomas and not Brad Wesley. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did Who's you just that? make a roadhouse reference? I did. Ah, uh, okay. There we go. Oh. No, 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 no. He was no. He 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 honestly looked a lot. Imagine Dave Thomas with less hair, and that <laughs> that was really and and, and very friendly, uh, very very friendly and, and cool. Maybe oh. character in a book. He'd be he'd he'd be the person you go to when stuff is going down. So uh, they give you some advice. Nice. But uh, so Craig, we got some more questions. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. um no, I think we're in, I, I think we're in a good spot, I right? Think, like I, I think, think we're we that part we've hit that, what's it? Yeah, we've hit the halfway point. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few more questions to go in a minute, but we're going to take a break. Uh, Bob, why don't you tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network, and Absolutely. then uh, we'll hit up the chat room. Have you heard about the lounge? <clears throat> Our good friend Doc Palindrome finds the best, the brightest, the most fun game designers, and sits down to have a cool chat with them. You never know what conversation is going to come up in the lounge. All right. Uh, chat room is uh, is enraptured by our uh, our topic tonight. Um, mm-hmm. 
no particular questions. We we uh, we had a lot of discussion about uh, the never ending story, uh, partly because I've never seen it. Um, like whatever, you know, it, it happens. Can't watch all the movies. Yeah. <laughs> Can't consume all the media. Can always go back and watch it. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, we can always um, have an eighties movie night. Like, that's a thing. The, the great thing about the never ending story is that it's never ending, so you can just jump in at any time. Yeah, like, lies. There's, lies. There's no I beginning. Say. There's no beginning, and there's no end. <laughs> <laughs> One thing struck me though was the comment about not being able to leave the town. Um, it's like why? Why do the people stay there? Because they can't leave, and that just—I don't want to go too deep into the weed, into the weeds on this because it, it, it strays, but. Um, it, it's something that I thought quite a few times about New York City in Marvel Comics. Like, yes. why do people fucking <laughs> yeah. live in New York when all the bad guys are constantly doing stuff? <laughs> New York is a hotbed of villain activity and destruction. And yet, people stay there. So I'd like to think in Marvel, I'd like to think in the Marvel Manhattan, housing prices are not nearly astronomical because, probably, like, you know, like Galactus could build a world eating machine on top of your building. Yeah. I mean, like, it's yeah. very, very, very possible. So that'll, that'll drive, that'll drive the, I, the I, I property values down. Yeah. Real, real world, having, having spent 11 months there, real world Manhattan, there is just a sense of, well, it's going to happen here. I mean, after the people I knew down there after 9 11, there was this idea that they were, they were positive that it was going to happen again in the next two years. Like, we're going to have an even bigger tragedy here, and we're ready for it. I mean, that was their attitude, was basically, bring it on. Um, and that, that might be part of it. Uh, so, Phil X-Man. Okay, we have something in the chat room. That's um, <laughs> Xander. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I, I can see both of those, those happening, having a reason why, you know, uh, in the real world, I look at some of these places and go, why, why do they live there? You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mother Nature's wife, yeah. Mother Nature's wiped your town off the face of the earth several times. There must be something supernatural keeping you there. Yeah. So, so is there a character, Craig, in Nowhereville that's like the person who comes from the like outside of the town and is like, why are you all still here? Well, there's there's an (laughs) arc there's a there's a character archetype, a playbook called the Returned. Okay. Which is the character who has managed to leave the small town, but then comes back for whatever reason. And so they, they have like a slightly different perspective on everything. Yeah. Um, now as far, like as far as NPCs go, there's, um, I did something a little different with, with the, uh, with NPCs. What I, what I did was I, I there's a whole cast of characters, right? A whole cast of NPCs and there's a town and a map and a bunch of locations and things. Um, but I didn't specify I, I, I basically for each of the NPCs, I like kind of wrote up who they are, what they're like. And then I gave each of them six possible secrets. Um, and you can choose what you want to use for the purposes of your game. And so of those secrets, three of them are mundane every day, just like regular people. Like, okay, your character got away with murder at some point. Um, or your character is engaged in embezzlement. Um, and then three of those uh, secrets are supernatural, like your character is secretly a member of a cult or is, uh, you know, a vampire or, you know, some other monster um, or has some strange ability, is a pyrokinetic. Um, 
And you can, of course, have, you know, plenty, have, have plenty of NPCs that don't have those secrets. They're just people that are living in the town, you know, mix it up and keep players on their toes. But the idea being that, you know, the same GM could run the game multiple times, even for some of the same players and not have like, you know, you, you nobody's going to learn the town. Nice. Um, nobody's going to sit down and, and you're like, OK, now I know that the, you know, the deputy is always this way. Well, you yeah. don't know that because there's yeah. six other variant deputies <laughs> that uh, you could be dealing with. Cool. I'm picturing that one, like the return who like brings their like significant other with them. And like the <laughs> returns like, oh, but this is just how the town is. Right. And the significant others like, what is going this on here? Like, <laughs> like, there's something seriously wrong with these people. And it's like, nah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's it's just old man Jenkins. Like, I don't like everybody just shrugs just, it off. Yeah, it just, you know, does that. Don't worry. Soon you'll be one of us. Yes, one of yeah. us. It's it's written up in the in the in the book, like in the, like you know, after you're there for about a month or so, you kind of become a member of the town, and it's at that point you can't leave, and it's that at, at that point you start forgetting things. But yeah, you could certainly have a, you know, your your character could return with and, and be the one who remembers and becomes a you know a PC, um, but has like family members or something that came with them. Oh, I'm getting a very black hole sun kind of feeling for this, right? Like, just like, I don't know, that song seems to resonate at this moment of like, like just after a month, like one day you wake up and you're just like, I think I'm going to go mow the lawn. Yeah. Like, like it's done. Like, yeah. you know, you just see like the end of a movie, right? Like you, they never got out and just like all of a sudden they wake up and they just mowing the lawn, saying hi to the neighbor, right? Just yeah. lost. Oh, I love it. Yep. It's Everything's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. All right, nobody well, remembers. We jump what back happened. in for part two. Welcome. And for part two, Phil, what are some of the advantages of using media inspirations in your games and game designs? Yeah, I think you know. I think we've been building up on this as we've been talking, uh, you know, so far this evening. But you know, I mentioned the top of the segment, right? For lack of a better word, right? Inspirations are well, they're inspiring, right? Um, they fire us up. Um, you know, if you're a game designer, those kind of inspirations are the kind of things that like help you get through um, the more tedious parts of game design, right? Like just the, you know, when you when it, when it becomes a slog, um, be you know, remembering that you're you know really inspired, or even just having those moments where you kind of go back to the inspirational material and you're like, oh right, this is why I'm doing this. Like, okay, good. Um, and then for for GMs and players those inspirations that are in a game, like the things about the game that make it inspiring, that's what gets emotional investment, right? That's what gets people committed to the game. That's, um, I mean, honestly, let's admit, like, that's how you get through scheduling, you know, humps. And that's how you get to like exciting moments in the game is all through um, emotional in, in investment. Um, and like how that happens, like it comes from a lot of different angles, right? Um, like there's a lot of different reasons why, somebody connects to a piece of media or something that gets picked up from a piece of media and put into a game. Um, and everybody has like their own reasons or their own ways that they get inspired. And that, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask us as a group is um, when it comes to games inspired by other media, like what draws you in? Like when you notice it, like you're like, Oh, this game's inspired by X. Like, what is it about that? You're just like, Oh, I want to play this game for this reason. Um. How about yeah, start us off, Greg. Yeah, I think uh, you know, it's finding the finding the truth in the story, whether that's, you know, like with Stephen King's stories, it's the, you know, what what a small town is like and um and it you can you can transpose that for anybody who didn't live in a small town, you can transpose that into a tight-knit family 
um, or, uh, you know, a, a working environment where kind of everybody kind of knows each other and has worked with each other for a long time where these relationships develop. And you, you recognize like, you know, some of the things that repeat and some of the things that are very human and very, um, that resonate with you. And I find myself, you know, as, as, from the RPG designer side of things, I find myself in wanting to share that through the media that is, is inspiring it. So I can take those aspects of that media and transpose that into a game and kind of hit on those same thematic elements and those same kind of connections and emotions um, and, uh, or, or just like, you know, just general storytelling perks and quirks of like, well, this is, you know, great action, um, that feels a certain way. Um, or, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, a character moment that's very, um, personal and, and painful to, to, you know, that you, you pull out of a movie or a TV show or a book or whatever and generate a game that allows you to kind of bring that over. Um, into the game and, and have other people experience and be able to share it. It's a way to communicate with people about the things that I, that I like and care about and see if they do too. Yeah, that's cool. That's, I mean, that's a great reason. Um, I know for me, it's the frustrated writer. Like when I see, like, like when I, like, I like, like, so I like watching TV and I like reading books and stuff, but I like, I always consider them passive media, not active media. Right. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm reading the person's story. So like when I see a game that, emulate something um or is inspired by something like what really gets me fired up is the chance to be able to create my own stories in 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 that setting um like i know like the first time i saw um that cartel like the first time like the first time i saw the ash can for cartel and i like knew exactly what it was and i was like oh like I like, I want to tell these kind of stories. Like I love that kind of media. I, I like totally want to do this. Um, and yeah, for me, that's always the case is that, and since I, cause I GM so much and I'm like probably like 90% of a GM, um, for me, it's always that chance to be able to tell a story in that particular genre. Um, and I love when, you know, a designer has kind of keyed in on a, like, a, like some sort of genre, um, and made it very clear, like this game does this genre and then I'm, I'm in. How about you, Bob? Yeah, so for me, much like Craig, it's the sharing part. Um, I want to share with the other people at the table all the things that I love about the genre that's the, the, or the media property that's being emulated by the game. You know, we sit down, it's like we're going to play a Star Trek game at some point. And I can't wait to sit and geek out Star Trek at a table with a bunch of other people that are ready to geek out Star Trek. So that's that's what I really enjoy about that part. Even if we had to like make them watch like three series of <laughs> Star Trek to make sure that they would be prepared to play quote properly. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. What about you? There Jerry? was an ulterior motive. There was a plan. There's a plan. Mm-hmm. There's always a plan. Yeah. Jer? Uh, for me, it's just a player run adventures in that world. Um, I always, when I, when I see fantasy worlds or sci fi worlds or monster worlds, I'm always interested to see what else is there, kind of interact with all the things that we didn't see fleshed out enough, or to interact with them in different ways. Um, like if I'm running Star Wars, I are playing in Star Wars, I'm not really interested in, in meeting Luke Skywalker. Uh, I want to fight the Empire. And if I'm playing like a DC Heroes game, I don't want to play, I don't want to team up with Batman, I just want to go after the Joker. Or I want to get into the dirty underbelly of Gotham City or explore what happens in, in uh, Metropolis. It's a chance as a GM or a player to interact with that world in a way and tell other stories and tell the stories that 
kind of go behind the scenes in that. Um, you know, even when we talked about Star Trek, that there's a lot of the uh, Next Generation episodes that end right before the, gee, I wonder what happened when those two characters got back to the ship and had to talk to somebody kind of thing. <laughs> and those are the things that are fun to, to go into is, um, you know, what what are the the fun dramas that occur afterwards? And what are the things to, that if they couldn't get into in detail in this scene? Um, and those are fun to, to get into. And a lot of what's going on in role-playing games based on media is exploring all of those other parts of, of the media worlds. Yeah. So that's what I like. I want to I try to kind of interact with stuff. All right? Cool. Bob? So as it is with all things, using inspirations from other media can't just be a bonus. Jerry... What are the pitfalls that you can run into when you're deriving your inspirations from other media? Well, I think the most common challenge is going to be how to file off the serial numbers properly. You know, that means find the balance of something that's inspiration versus something that's actually a pastiche, unless, uh, unless you really know what you're going for. Um, but this is a good time to ask the questions for the group in this case. So in terms of finding and incorporating inspirations from other media into your games, uh, what are the challenges that you've experienced? Craig? Um. I think the, the, the biggest ones are finding a way to incorporate something where it, it is recognizable as an homage, but isn't just pasted in, you know, like just 100% with just like a name change or isn't kind of hackneyed and like, well, well we, we've seen this before. I want to try to come up with a different way okay. to, to incorporate that thing. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also the issue of, like sometimes you have to just be willing to let certain things go. Like, you know, okay, there's, here's a thing that, uh, you know, as an example, uh, drawing back to the, uh, discussion, uh, as I arrived to all of this, where you were talking about the cybernetic X-Men, um, like everybody knows Wolverine. Everybody loves Wolverine. If you put a character that's too much like Wolverine into your story, everybody's going to go, Oh, that's Wolverine. And that, may not serve you the best for the purposes of what you're trying to do in the homage, because there's some stuff that just, it's really tough to, to do it without it seem kind of hackneyed and, and like, Oh, I'm just going to put this in here because everybody loves Wolverine. Um, so, you know, it, sometimes it's a question of finding the, the things that have the, the right spirit and the flavor that you're looking for, but without it being the, like the obvious choice and, and without implementing it in an obvious way. Yeah. Okay. No, totally agree yeah. um and totally missed the mark on that when i was 16 like my internet <laughs> my my galactic kumite was called the galactic kumite like i really just like i wasn't even trying like i just you could have called it space kumite it would have been even worse so oh i yeah. just it, i mean it was there was no surprise my players were like ah, i see what's going on here and yeah. then you know well we'll talk about it in a second but go ahead jerry go ahead uh, for me it's uh if i'm falling off the serial numbers i want to do to a point that it isn't homage without making it too obvious or too blind. Because um, sometimes I actually find it's fun for the players to recognize the trope once you get into it and start playing along. Um, there's a, a dungeon magazine adventure that barely touches on this where you've got um, a wealthy playboy that everybody thinks is a vampire who is uh, living with his, his young ward and is trying to stop some sort of evil jester in town, which is obviously a Batman homage. And you can expand on that and make it, and we've done that where we've had, you know, over time, the players realize that this group of serial killers, you know, one, one always leaves clues. One's obsessed with, with, with big cats. You know, one's got a whole bunch of birds and, so, and you can, you can play on that. And once the players get, get into that a couple adventures in, it can be a lot of fun. Um, 
if I'm in the right mood for that, yes. If I'm like in like if I was like expecting this to be a super serious game and that happens, like that would be a huge turnoff for me. Oh no. Oh no, this was super serious. This wasn't played for jokes. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where I would have fallen on that one. I'm laughing as you're saying it. And if I knew that was like the kind of tone we were going for, I would like I would double down. Right? Like you you can you can you can see that's just it. You can play that super serious. Just like you can have a, a, a laser sword in a game. Or you can have somebody with uh, you know, an ancient group of, of of martial arts monks who have mental powers and you know, play on all that. I've I've played in I played in a game with somebody who ran the entire Star Wars trilogy and it turned out that they just were running it in a Victorian steampunk world. And it took a while before we figured out what was going on with the, you know, uh the the, the big crime lord who was really giant and we thought it was King Pedro that course. You can you can play with those. But like you said, that's the challenge is how to do it in such a way that it doesn't end up being a parody. It's an homage instead of a parody. That's what that's what the trick is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh the players in there. The a fun bit to do with that too is like if 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 you put something out there that's like, okay, this is you know, okay, uh, we've got uh, you know, uh, uh energy use, energy weapon wielding space monks um who are uh you know they, they they you give you have have them share X, Y, and Z with with Jedi and then you vary them in one very yeah. specific way that yep. like really throws the players for a loop. And it's like, okay, well I thought I was dealing with Jedi and I still kind of am, but they murder people <laughs> just to, for no reason, apparently, but, and maybe there's a reason underneath it, but I can't kind of figure out what it is. So I don't, and then that puts the players in the position of not yeah. exactly, you know, like it's recognizable and it's an homage and it's yeah. fun, but you've suddenly twisted it to something that they, they can't just assume. Like, man, I thought these were Jedi, but they've got like a Klingon mentality. Like <laughs> Jedi Klingons? What? <laughs> they get all married. Their what? Strange, all of their weapons are strangely unwieldy. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> and they're trying really hard to make it look like they're really, really graceful. <laughs> oh, the poor ballot gets no love. <laughs> oh, the, that goes. Those of you who are part of our our, our Slack room will know that there's been a discussion today about very obs- uh, unwieldy weapons in the, in the Slack room channel yeah. today. So that kind of goes the <laughs> same way. All right, Bob. Think, talking about unwieldy weapons, brought in the games, Bob. <laughs> yeah. So um, my thing here is is you run the risk of having people at the table that aren't familiar with the the thing that gave you the inspiration for the game. If you've got somebody that doesn't know the tropes, doesn't know the media property, like they have like zero reference, like they may not get everything the way everybody else at the table does. And if you've got one or two people or, you know, God forbid you you come to a table and like, you're the only one and everybody else is like, what is this? I've never heard of a star war. Like what? (laughs) Like, what do you do? Like, like that can totally derail what you're shooting for. Mm-hmm. I think I'm so. just, I think I've told you guys before about the middle earth role playing game I was in where the GM was uh like a like a, a Tolkien phobe or a to- Tolkien filiac. He loved everything Tolkien and only one other player at the table had even read the books or seen the cartoons at the time. And so we had a bunch of players who went into a very serious middle earth role playing game with a D and D mentality and we ended up we ended up rolling Bilbo and taking the ring. Um, yeah, and uh, that that happens if the players aren't familiar with the source material at all. That I can see that yeah. being a big problem. Right. So if you were playing yeah. Star Trek, for instance, people who aren't familiar with with the media would unplug the holodeck. 
Right. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> why would I ever go back in? Yes. Right. The one it's one clearly trip, dangerous. Right. One trip to the holodeck and you'd be like, we got to turn this thing off. Like <laughs> this ride's broken. Whereas like somebody who's, you know, knows the media is like, no, 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 it's fine. Like the safety Disconnect mechanism. that damn holodeck from all power sources and shut it down. And I want triple redundancy on that starboard power coupling by Monday. Otherwise, we're not moving. Right. <laughs> Yeah, don't I worry. Mean, I've take I've taken care of the holodeck. I've installed uh, a badge you take care of it, so he'll take care of making it properly. We'll be fine. Yeah, I mean that's I I mean I, I mean it's exactly that thing. Like if you're yeah. not familiar with the genre, you'll be like, why why are we going in the holodeck? Like last time we went, it tried to kill us. Yeah, yeah, but that was like last time we went, and we went through a nebula. Like like plus like the safeties are on, right? Yeah, maybe yeah. the safeties fail a lot. Yeah. All, right, All right, so what so. about you? Yeah, for me, um, for me, there's always the fear. And I think these all fall like my answer falls in the same line with all of yours. Um, my fear is that when it's not abstracted enough and people start just referring to it by the original term. Right. So, like, you know, we've we've our you know game with our energy weapons and then people are like, cool, lightsaber. Right. And they just like start using the word lightsaber. And now it's like, oh, you're we're not like, you know, Star Wars. You're not using a lightsaber. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like. It just becomes those things where they're like, oh, that's like, uh, oh, that's like an R2. I'm just going to call it R2. And it's like, oh, you're, like you're playing wrong. Like, <laughs> I spent a long time coming up with a name for that weapon and that robot. Yes. That's consistent with naming of other weapons and robots in this world. Yes. Right. And, yeah. And then, like players just like skip right over it. Just get that R2 thing over here. And we were like, I, like, I, like, I remember recently Bob and I were playing in a campaign of, um, um Numenera. Yeah. And like it got really bad where like I would be like describing stuff and they'd be like, oh cool, galactic telephone. And I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> like just sure. Sure. That's like we, we I had names for these things. <laughs> yeah. Like I made up names and things for these things. And they're like, oh yeah, it's like a galactic telephone. We got it. Cool. We're we'll try using the galactic telephone later. It's like, oh <laughs> so yeah, that's for me, that's where like um that's where like i i always like I, I always cringe in game like i need something to be abstracted enough like even if you get that it's a lightsaber like at least at my table don't call it the lightsaber like just just hang on and just call yeah. it what it is um we all know what it is right like we're we're probably like we probably all know it's a lightsaber or inspired by it but like let's just not call it that yeah. let's just and it can help to have that conversation real quick with the players yeah. and be like you know hey we're we're, we're trying not to, I don't, I don't want, I'm using some Star Wars pastiche, but I don't want us to get into the mode of playing a Star Wars game because this game is going to do other things. Yep. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's all stick with the, yeah. the terminology so that, that well, that, that's I've, I've invented. Back, that's where back in the before times, it was nice to have things like the dry erase, uh, three by five cards. You actually write in big capital letters, you know, like, you know, laser sword and prop mm -hmm. it up. And somebody was looking at it all yes. the times to use the right term, <clears> keep them on the same page. Because uh, sometimes players need help with that. Yep. Ah, oh, playing yep. in person. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was right. nice. It was. We'll talk about it in a bit. Yes, we will. Cool. All right, so, Bob, take us out. Yeah. To round Last out question. our segment, we're going to talk about combining inspirations from multiple media sources. What do you think, Jer? All right. Uh, basically, you have to understand that some of our designs are going to be inspired by one media or several media, but it could also be inspired by combining completely disparate media. Um. And so doing that, we're going to end up with that Reese's moment of putting chocolate in the peanut butter and get the yeah. best combination possible. 
So we're going to end up this segment with one final question for Craig. So, for good strong hands, nowhere Ville, or any other designs, what is one of your favorite mashups, and what disparate media did you combine to get that result of that mashup? Um, well, I'm going to go back to uh, to game number two, to Capers, uh, yep. which we talked about here. Um, that is a pretty straightforward mashup um, of 20s gangster uh, shenanigans um, with superpowers. It's, you know, li- literally, you know, gangsters with superpowers in the 1920s and the, during the Roaring Twenties, during Prohibition. Um, you know, I, I made the choice of, of making the superpowers not the world bendy, um, you know, yeah. uh, kind. It, it's like you know, street low level, street level. You're going to affect your neighborhood yeah. kind of things. You're not going to affect the country. Um, but, you know, kind of kept the, the tropes and, and uh, the kind of themes of what makes a good gangster story. Um, with, uh, you know, all the, like a lot, a lot of the same types of stories where it's going to be, you know, bootlegging and, uh, political, uh, maneuvering with, with, uh, law officials of avoiding law enforcement, um, dealing with rivals, uh, other gangs and so forth. And then, um, just said, oh, and by the way, people have superpowers. So like there's a Tommy gun, but there's also I-beams and, uh, you know, what wins Tommy gun or I-beams. Um, so yeah, that capers is very much a mashup of, of two specific things. I know when I wrote that, I was like, Oh, it, will he say, will he not say capers? Will he say capers? Cause that was the first one that came to my mind too. I was like, capers is like a, like an, an amazing chocolate peanut butter moment of just well, and, like, and each of the, each of the supplements is a mashup that takes those two elements. And then capers noir throws on like, um, noir stories and horror monsters and, Covert throws in super spies, super villain kind of stuff, and Offworld throws in retro future science fiction. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. I'm just picturing, I was picturing in my head as I was thinking about Capers, the scene from The Untouchables at, at the um, Canadian border, and just like somebody picking up one of the trucks and throwing it at somebody else. <laughs> On the bridge, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just awesome. like fantastic. Oh, <laughs> sweet. All right, so that is our workshop topic on getting inspirations from other media. We're going to check in with the chat room quickly before we head over to the conversation corner. Um, we were just uh, uh, in talking about not getting uh, the, the the references. Uh, Andy said that uh, in D&D she used a plot directly taken from the TNG Season 1, and nobody at the table recognized it, even though there were Trek nerds there. Was it Skin of Evil? That's. Was it? I don't know if anybody ever wants to touch that as a as a topic, let alone. <laughs> oh, well, man. for for a lot of us, we only ever saw season one the one time because it wasn't the best season. Um, nope. So yeah, like I don't remember a lot of season one episodes terribly well, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. When we did the watch through, um, we went through season one. I think in less than two weeks, and it was just like, it's just I was like, look, you week. have to see a few episodes here. But we really don't have to watch a lot of these. Like, yeah. we need to get to season two where things are going to get much better quicker. Yep. Yeah. And Phil, do you remember uh, when we were running our Eberron game with the investigators in town and mm-hmm. Mike used the plot of young Sherlock Holmes? Yes. As, the, as, as one of the campaign plots? That's yeah. Perfect. It took me like six sessions and I went, wait a minute. This is young Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> it went six <laughs> sessions before any of us figured it out. Yeah. Like, it was... Uh, um yeah oh okay justice the one where wesley breaks the uh the the world oh yeah stepped on flowers and they they give him the death sentence 
Yes. That's another they, one they, that's been used multiple times, like when Belana has bad thoughts and they're like, Oh, you caused this violent outburst, so we're gonna we're gonna sentence <laughs> you. We've only got one punishment on this yep. planet. Yep. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's okay. Every world in Star Wars is just one climate. So Yes, yes, the one biome one yes, biome planet. Single planets. biome planets. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah I mean I, I think my other favorite trope is Voltron just has like partial worlds. Right from like the Netflix thing, like that world's just broken in chunks, but like it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no coherent well, sphere for this. Nobody even <laughs> chat. Nobody, nobody even, nobody even questions it in Voltron. You're like flying by. You're like, oh, look at the planet. Yeah, that's not a planet. That's a <laughs> part of a it's planet. An asteroid yeah. belt. <laughs> it's an asteroid belt in a spherical pattern. <laughs> oh man, so that's a really big meteor at best. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So well, just, let's, yeah, let's just let's be a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I could do it like you could do a D and D game off that. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, Definitely. it's gonna go bad. Like <laughs> we have only one. We have only one rule. We're gonna execute you. Well, guess we're uh, murder hobo on our way out of here. Right. Sharpen my <laughs> axe. No. Wait, 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 wait. Now, now, if they're threatening to kill your guy, is it really murder hobo? Is, is at that point they're threatening your life? Defensive murder hobo. Self self defense murder hobo. <laughs> I mean, justified murder hobo. Justified, justifiable murder hobo. There you go. I there think you that's go. The term. <laughs> justifiable <laughs> murder hobo is a new phrase. There you go. <laughs> All right, yes. let's jump over to the conversation corner and really get this thing pumping. Pumping here. Uh, humping? Did I say yeah. what? Freudian slip? I don't know. <laughs> that's okay. What? I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, who said right. blue? I don't. What? Hit the button. I'm gonna hit the button. <laughs> Cool. Well, the conversation corner is um, where we talk about like just nerdy things that are going on in our lives that, as uh, as we um, frequently steal the phrase from the gauntlet, are giving us life. Uh, Craig, tell us like tell us a couple of things that like just like you're totally jamming on like outside of gaming. Um, I've been in this uh, funk, well, not funk, but I've I've been in the mode of uh, of seeking out bad horror movies again. Um, lately, those are I, I generally love watching those with people because you can you know you MST3K the whole thing. Oh sure. But I've but I've revisited some stuff where like I didn't go back and watch Nightmare on Elm Street one two and three. I went and watched four five and six, Ooh. and in order and was like woof oh boy <laughs> that they just get worse and worse and six is terrible. Which one is uh, six? What? <laughs> Which, Which one, one is? is this? Yeah, Freddy's six, Dead. Six, it's the one that's it's the it's Freddy's the one dead. that's got too much stunt casting in it. Okay. Um, Alice Cooper as as Freddy's dad in a flashback, and oh, Tom and Roseanne Arnold show up as these weird townsfolk, and yeah, it's like it, there's okay. like this, and the, the body count is practically non-existent. There's way too much story, not nearly enough murder. Um, yeah, it's bad stuff. And then I watched. Oh man, I had to. I couldn't help it. There's a movie called Slacks, S-L-A-X-X. It is about a killer pair of designer jeans. Come on. <laughs> I want to see that. I saw it advertised. It's, what is it? It's, it's spectacularly bad. It's so much Good. fun. It's so silly. Does it have to trick it's... people in putting them on or like can it can it put it, them on them can it can they put them on to other people? Like can it, they it kills people in a surprisingly diverse number of ways. 
I'm, I'm very curious now because <laughs> you, you would find yourself thinking like, well, why would anybody put on a pair of pants if, <laughs> if <laughs> that they didn't that you. they didn't know if if they have seen a pair of pants kill a bunch of people? Um, yeah, it 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 murders people in a number of ways. Um, <laughs> and uh, over on the Nerdburger Games Discord, um, it's been interesting to see. I I I threw the idea out there and I kind of suggested it to some of the regulars on the discord and, and some people have taken it and they're running with it. Um, and, and I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know how big it's going to get or if it'll be completed or if it'll be a thought exercise, but there's people that are like, they're designing a game together. They're like, you know, just hashing out like uh, a game to make um, an RPG. Um, And uh, you know, where, where exactly it's going to end up. I don't know, but I, I'm doing my best to not go in there and influence, but I'm every so often uh, they'll ask questions and I'll, you know, I'll respond and every so often just throw in, you know, something like, well, you know, just something to think about here. Think about this, like, um, and just, you know, to, to help spark discussion and, um, and direction and decision-making. So uh, it's, uh, I, I got a great deal of help in getting to where I am. Um, during freelance days and with people giving advice on when I went to designing, designing my own stuff and publishing. And I try to give back when I can. And so having um, a discord community where there's some people who are like, you know, taking some of the knowledge that I've disseminated to them and and working on a game as a group um, and having a fun little collaboration and just kind of seeing that develop has been a lot of fun. That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what they, um, what they come up with. I, I hope it goes the distance because the, the concept, I mean, they're still nailing down some stuff because it's one of those, like when it's on a discord and it's a bunch of people, it can take a while to kind of get somewhere with it until they really nail some things down. But there's some really interesting ideas floating around in there. Neat. I have to, I'm going to throw in my bad, my bad horror movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, I remember this from when I was a kid. Cause I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Uh, did you ever see the driller killer? Oh yeah. <laughs> it sounds familiar. Um, Slumber Party Massacre Two. Uh, no, 1979. It's actually it's actually it's called, the called the Driller. Called the Driller. Yeah. Called the Driller. Yeah, that's the one um, with the guy in the apartment, right? Uh, I mean, I was like in sixth I, grade. I just yeah, remember. I, I, don't, it, I don't specifically I, I, recall seeing it. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's I, I think it's about a guy or he's either the building super or somebody who goes around killing people in his apartment building the drill. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got an actual like. He's got like a cordless drill or something, and he's murdering people with his with his drill. Like he just sneaks up and like just drills them. <laughs> it's a it's it's not good. Like yeah. I, like if you're in the mood for a bad horror movie, it's not good. Um, but yeah, I do remember as a kid because it was the '80s. So like we went through that whole uh, period where we were raiding the the video store for you know whatever terrible horror movies we could find and take them home and watch them on Saturday nights. I got a bad horror. When I was in college, I was, I was the only person on my floor with a VCR for two years. Yeah, you so must have been very every, popular. Every Saturday night when I got on my way back from work, I would stop at Movies Plus and we'd pick up a couple, we'd pick up one or two movies that were really good and then we always picked up one bad horror movie and then one movie that we, we just bought based on the cover, like Ninja 3 The Domination. Um, <laughs> but we used to, and I used to host bad movie nights sometimes. We would watch, you know, things like you know, some of the some of the worst Friday the thirteenth movies or you know, sorority babes in the slime bowl arama. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um and you know so silly. And oh yeah, I, I love that movie. 
Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm a big, big fan of, of bad horror movies. I mean, I've seen some horror movies lately that were just bad because they weren't interesting. I like movies that are deliberately campy bad or, you know, just bad special effects or, or. Yeah, if they're a bad, movie that I thought was going to be good. You know, yeah. then, then they're less entertaining. Like House of a Thousand Corpses from Rob Zombie was a terrible it was movie. Bad. Yeah. Terrible. And I like Rob Zombie, but that just, yeah. A movie that should have been really, really, really bad that was had way too much plot and characterization and actually made it decent. Evil Bong. I thought <laughs> Evil Bong was going to be horrible. I got it on one of those, you know, I bought this five movies on one DVD collection because I wanted this one movie and I figured I was going to watch everything on it. And Evil Bong was on there. It was a bad moon. It was a bad moon films. And it should not be good. And it's actually entertaining and watchable. Um, uh, a quick aside on the could, Slumber Party Massacre 2. And I, for yeah. some reason, I was thinking the subtitle to it was The Driller Killer. But I guess I just heard the name Driller Killer. Because the, the killer in Slumber Party Massacre 2 you, does some of his killings with a guitar that has a gigantic drill bit like basically attached to it that's awesome. part of it um yeah and it's worth watching for the sake of the fact that there is a legitimate musical number with said guitar <laughs> in the in the in the movie and it's long <laughs> it's a long musical number that's funny so it's interesting because i i'm not like i i i'm not a huge um horror movie fan but where I fall, like where I can, similar to you guys, like I can do that with wuxia films. Mm. I can watch the worst wuxia films possible, and I love them. Like yep. old Shaw Brothers, like uh, like all the Shaw way up. Brothers to, cheese, man. Oh, oh, I mean, from the yeah. worst Shaw Brothers movies to like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I, I'm there for all of it. Like I will, I will never turn down watching a wuxia movie. Which, by like, the way, I have a a DVD collection. We're gonna have a, a wuxia night. I'm in. We're gonna sit down and we're gonna watch yep, some some stuff because I've got a collection of old old stuff that um, I'm like we need to bring this to to a TV. <laughs> I got the flying guillotine. If you want to see a really oh, bad one, the flying guillotine is not good. It's like a ones. it's like a throwable hat thing that cuts people's heads <clears throat> off. It's hilarious. Like it's, an odd job from James Bond. No, 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 no. It has to like land on your head, and then it, and then it like yeah, yeah, and then like you pull the cord and it like. To pop show. It's ridiculous. It's great. Jean, uh, and, uh, fellow podcast, Jean Ku Hustle does a whole episode about the flying guillotine. Yes, yes. I was I was very impressed when they did it. Like because I mean it's no Jim Cotta. Because no. that's clearly there's nothing could ever replace Jim Cotta Jim... in the annals of terrible <laughs> fucking martial arts movies. Jim Cotta's a special kind of hell. Yes, it, is. it is worth watching because it's just like <clears throat> how many towns have a stone pommel horse right in the middle of them? Yeah. Like that is like very convenient. All right, I need to fight gonna... these guys, so I'm going to pommel horse my weight. No, yeah, exactly. All right, who's up? Jerry's up. Okay. Um, well, first of all, uh, the next episode of The Devers came out, and in true streaming service form, we hit episode four last week, and so all of a sudden the story took off, and episode five is just rolling along, and so this week we ended up getting a uh, a steampunk mutant X Men style double heist. So uh, always good. Um, right. It just I'm enjoying the show. It's 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 not perfect, but it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, caught up on some Voyager, um, which has been just really well done. I'm really liking the the show, liking the tropes. Um, I'm at the point now where just like you said, like the there was no holodeck episode, but there there was a thing where I watched this show and I got to the end of it I realized at no point did I think why didn't they just shoot that guy which they should have done 
because I'm like, no, 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 that's not how Star Trek works. You don't shoot that yeah. guy. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you let him do. And so it's it's fun to go along with that. Um, caught up on a little bit, a couple extra episodes of Shira. I'm slowly making my way through the series. It's been good, but I know Bob will talk probably more about that. But I'm still in the early seasons and playing a lot of Valheim. Um, and it's been a lot of fun because um, in Valheim, as you go from different biomes, they get much, much more dangerous. You start out in the meadows, and then the black forest is a little bit more dangerous, and then the swamp is deadly, and then the mountains are terrifying, and the plains will just annihilate you. And Bob and I have been kind of dipping our toes into the swamp for a while, but this week we decided to actually team up with Chris and go after the big monster in the swamp, and now we're better at that. So we decided we're going to take a shot at the mountains, and we had a good time for a while. And then I found out that in Valheim, you can fly, but only if you're hit really hard by a stone golem and knocked <laughs> off the mountain. Um, I got I got smacked really hard, and I had lots of health, and a stone golem will kill you with two hits. So the stone golem hits me, and I'm like, oh, good, I've got 40 health. I looked up, I'm like, I have like nine stories off the ground and still moving through the air, and there's nothing under me, and I died. Yeah. And uh, it was just, it was a lot, it was hilarious. So, um, yeah. It's a neat, from game design, it's a neat thing because as you go you and you get better gear and get better skills, all of a sudden, a part of the game that was something that you avoided at all costs now becomes something that you start exploring and having fun with. And so even, what are we, two months into this thing, playing yeah. almost every night, um, we're at the point now where there's a whole bunch of places in the world that Bob and I... Like, well, there's swamp. We're not going any further than that. Now we're like, oh, yeah. now let's go explore what's in there. And I think yeah. that's making the game um, much more playable. And it's like, oh, this thing that was terrifying to us before is now just a, oh, there it is. We fought it and we feel good about it. And then what's the next most terrifying thing? Oh, my God. And then yeah. we're dead. Um, and that's kind of fun. Yeah. So that was that was Valheim for me. So, Bob? Yeah. So um, as Jerry was just saying, Valheim, the the way they do the progression of of how you have to find stuff to get better gear, like the the little twist to it is, is like, oh, you really you need better gear to be able to get into the swamp, but really to get the good gear, you got to get into the swamp. So you got to go with the mediocre gear. You got to make your bronze and make your bronze stuff, then go into the swamp to find the iron. So that you can make the really good stuff, so that you can go up into the mountains, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jerry's fun to hang out with on Valheim too, because there, there's inevitably some moment where it's, oh, look what mean old Mister Gravity did. <laughs> Jerry will yeah. go off the edge yeah. of a rock and be like, oh shit, there's nothing underneath that side of the rock. <laughs> Do I have enough health that when I hit the ground, I will survive? So that's fun. That that's actually the that, that's the other way I died yesterday was uh for the last like three weeks, a wolf will just slaughter both of us. Yeah. And we're at the point now where we can take on two or three wolves at a time. And we've done that. We were probably taking on some wolves in the mountains, and then I fell off a mountain and landed in a pack of wolves. And <laughs> Yeah. I died soon after that because either one of those would have been fine on its own, but then you combine impact with wolf pack. And you um it's also a game with good teamwork. Yeah. There's a big advantage of playing with more than one player because one person can do something fun while the other one's just kind of watching out for them or helping them out. And it's something I'd like to figure out how to do more in for a role-playing game element is the idea of like the assist or the bonus comes in. Go ahead, yeah. Bob. Sorry. That's all right. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been uh, one of the highlights of the last couple of months. 
Um, this past Sunday, and Phil will talk about it a little more, we had our first session of gaming in person. Um, it was a shortened actual gaming session because of all of the banter and dinner beforehand and all of that stuff. Um, we found ourselves just shooting the shit and cracking jokes and, and busting up laughing. There was one moment where Phil and I both had to take our glasses off and rub our eyes because we were laughing so hard. It was just, um, it was so good to get together face to face with people again, real human beings, you know, give everybody a big hug when, we, when I showed up, you know, it was just like yep. so nice. Uh, so looking forward to being able to do that again with the same group uh, in two weeks and, and then the other group, you know, very soon and, and expanding out from there. Um, very much enjoying Voyager. Uh, I'm so glad that I decided to give Voyager a second chance because when it first came out, there was some problems with the with the main conceit of the story, the lost in space angle. Um, there were some things that I misremembered um, about Janeway um, that um, I didn't like the way she handled the ship um, back in the day. Um, I felt like she gave the ship up too many times. Um, but the, in, in retrospect, watching it again, like every time she had to give up the ship, she had to give up the ship. Like there was no, like, oh, she should have used the self-destruct. Well, one time they disabled the self-destruct, self-destruct, so she couldn't. Stuff like that. Um, they're telling some really interesting stories. Um, they're treading some ground that has been tread by other Star Trek shows. Um, but they're doing it with their own, their own spin. Um, so it's it's been interesting, and um, it's a lot more serial than I remember it. I, I remember it being like like one-off episode after episode after episode, but really there's a lot of through lines going through this, this series because you've got the main plot line of let's try to get home, and then you've got character development of people. The Doctor storyline has been fascinating. Mm -hmm. And after watching one of the episodes on last week's watch list, Phil will agree with me. I want a Doctor episode, Doctor from Voyager, to show up on Discovery. Yep. Because they could do it. <laughs> yep. There is a place where that will actually fit. That will actually work. Um, yep. So, yeah, very much enjoying Voyager. Um, She-Ra has been a delight. Um, I'm, I'm glad I finally got around to that. Um, I had to push it higher up on the list because Senda just wouldn't leave me alone. But, but yeah, it, um, and season five just, um, like cranks everything up a notch. You have to wait. Luckily I didn't have to wait the six months that everybody else did when they were watching it the first time through, but season five has just been like, whoa, <laughs> like, wow, man. <laughs> um, and I spent, um, uh, uh, parts of the last couple of days sleeving cards because I'm, I need to clean some stuff up because if I'm going to eventually move out of this house, there will have to be the purge and the packing and everything like that. And I'm looking around my room thinking to myself, okay, I've got all these games and I need to consolidate some stuff. And I'm like, well, I've got like six packs of sleeves over here for Thunderstone Quest that I bought and I have not sleeved the cards yet. I'm like, I can, I can rectify one problem, have less stuff. By sleeving those cards and not having packs of sleeves, so I started working on that, and uh, and yeah, it's it's going to be interesting um, uh, going forward. I have a shit ton of games and stuff to pack. Actually, I have a shit ton of games to pack. 
I don't have a lot of stuff. Um, and the move is going to be less of a chore than I originally had envisioned it because I, I, I don't have stuff. Like, I don't have a couch. Right. Like, I'm going into wherever I go from here with a recliner, <laughs> a, a gaming table, if I if I get the replacement parts for the one that came broken today. Um, oh, no. It's damaged from shipping, but... Um, I've got a recliner. I've got. I'll have a table. Um, I've got um, a, a shitty little bed that's going to be temporary. I may not even bring the bed. I may just sleep in the recliner until I buy a proper bed. No, bring the bed. Don't. No, sleep really. In the honestly, it depends on. It depends You're on old. what I get you for can't. this. No, no. You have You'll... to understand. It no. depends on what I'm going to get for this house and how much money I'll have left over after putting a down payment on a condo or whatever. If there's money there, then the bed will come week one, like after a couple of days, like bam, bam, bam. Like it's not going to be, I'm not going to go six months on a recliner. No. (laughs) That's right. When when I, when I, when I, when I first bought this house, there was a recliner in the basement that I disinfected because I only had like a couple of futon mattresses to sleep in because I left all my other furniture behind. And there were several nights that I was downstairs in the game room and got to the point where I'm like, I'm tired. I just went over and sat in the recliner and slept there till the morning. Yep. Um, uh, you know, that, that first that all changed when, you know, yeah, I got a, a, a serious girlfriend who became my wife. That, yeah. that wasn't going to fly anymore. Yeah, that but, definitely uh, changes. Then we got a bed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with if, if the recliners. I've been in houses where the recliner is the most comfortable place in the... In the, in the, in the, the it's facility. not a terrible recliner. It's pretty comfortable. So, yeah. all right, yeah. that's enough about me. Phil, what's going on with you? Hey, I bought a new bag. I haven't done that in forever. Um, I was, um, so there's this great company in San Francisco, uh, Waterfield, that makes these like really nice, um, really nice bags. And over like the last like six or so months, they, um, they had a um, group of people like focus group um, go through and look at designs for new sling bags, um, you know, like small crossbody bags. And, um, I don't remember how I got in on it, but um, I got invited to it and I was like, I participated. It was like three or four sets of surveys where they showed you different designs and you commented on them and gave feedback, things like that. Well, they finalized them. And for everybody who was in that group, they gave a early bird discount for ordering um, a bag. So I was like, oh, I'm totally buying one. So I ordered the small crossbody bag. I don't need anything big. I just, you know, thing to hold my phones, my wallet, stuff like that. Um, black nylon, red leather looks really slick. Um, it, I think it ships next week, which was really exciting. Like they were like, they, they did the advanced order so that they could, um, prep them and ship them right away. Um, but I love this little company. Like this company's pretty small. Um, I got like, when I ordered something from them last year during the pandemic, like the owner emailed me and was like, you know, I, I know you ordered this, but you know, I can't ship anything because we're in lockdown. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm like, you'll ship it when you're out of lockdown someday. Like, it's cool. But they like he emailed me again. He's like, oh, thanks so much for like, you know, ordering the bag. And I was like, listen, that that process was cool. Like, I was totally invested in this bag for like it was like it was like I was like I was totally invested in this bag the whole way through. Um, I knew I was buying one as we got closer because as they were narrowing the design decisions down, I was like, oh, I like where you guys are going with this. So yeah, I had a lot of fun. I haven't bought a bag in a while. Um, haven't used one in a while. So it'd be nice to, um, it'd be nice to do that. 
Forbidden Lands we played in person, um, which was the other time, which is the first time in 14 months I actually put stuff in my backpack. Yep. Um, and took it somewhere. Um, Bob touched on some of it. It was really good to see everybody. It was hilarious um, trying to get the game off the ground uh, with such questions as, does everybody remember where we sit at this table? Um, that was a discussion. Um, yep. We're playing Forbidden Lands. Uh, these guys have all been using Roll20 for the last 14 months. So we had to have a complete refresher in how to roll the dice in the game because it's this um, particular dice pool mechanic and everybody's just been clicking things on the screen and having the um, roll 20 generate like macros calculate everything. So to kind of go through again, people are like, oh, right, right. Like, like, like what dice do I pull? What color dice? And um, so that was a lot of fun. And it took like four or five attempts to get everybody on track to start the story because Every time we were about to start, we just busted up into like some jokes and stuff like that. And I, I, it didn't bother me because I kind of nope. knew that was how the game was going to go with first time back to the table. So we got into like a little bit of story. Um, but really it was just the experience of being back at the table for the first time since lockdown, um, sharing a meal together, hanging out together. Like it, it felt really good. Like it reminded me of like, you know, it's been a while since I've played anything face to face. Mm -hmm. So it was nice. Oh, I forgot about the food i mean it was just <laughs> hamburgers and hot dogs right yeah that's it yeah. no hamburgers and hot dogs mm -hmm. except our friend sean saw this dip at aldi that was crab rangoon dip and so it was good it was super good and uh, i started eating it with chips and then somebody was like hey me you should put the phil said put it on the burger and i went <gasps> put it on the burger and i put it on i the was burger, not wrong it was glorious <laughs> I ate most yeah, that was good. That was good. Um, and then uh, I, I haven't really done else too much else this week. Uh, I've been on some bike rides. That's been great. Um, been watching my Voyager and uh, still binging Blacklist. Uh, I'm into season three of Blacklist. We have not jumped the shark yet. I think it's the next season where this starts to teeter over the edge. But for right now, it's still pretty solid. Um, so I'm just going to keep watching it. When, it. when it jumps the shark, I'll just stop watching it. I'll go find something else to watch, which is fine. But for now, it's like good. It's like good in the morning, like when I'm making breakfast and stuff. I don't really have to pay attention to it. Like it's not a new show or anything yeah. like that. So it's good. All right. Well, that's us. Um, we're going to wrap. Um, we're going to actually let Craig go because Craig has to get up early in the morning. Um, and, you know, we understand the need for proper sleep. Yep. So before we let you go, Craig. Um, but first, I just want to thank you for coming on and yeah, talking to us tonight. That was awesome. Um, Nowhereville and. Um, Norville sounds amazing. Um, it's still in Kickstarter right now, so people should definitely um, go check it out. And uh, also, um, Good Strong Hands is going to make it out. Oh, go ahead. Uh, quick note. Um, <laughs> the uh, the quick start for Good Strong Hands is uh, it's a PDF. It's free. It's on DriveThruRPG. Oh, I yeah. I then... forget about that. Like, I actually cool. put the quick start out there. We'll put a link. Um, and, there, and, there's, and there's a link in there that where you can sign up and I'll let you know when the when the book itself is ready to go. Awesome. 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 Cool. Yeah. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming on tonight. And um, tell us uh, where uh, people can find you. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> so uh, good to be back. Um, find me. Uh, you can check me out at nerdburgergames.com. Um, if you like the capers thing that we were talking about, that's where the fancy, nice hardcover is available. For the record, the hardcover, the, the deluxe hardcover there is, is 40 bucks. It's the same price as what it would cost to get the POD hardcover, and it's a better book. Um, 
And but you can also go to drivethroughrpg.com for everything else, uh, PDFs and books and combos. Um, and I am at NerdBurgerCraig on the Twitter. There we go. Cool. Fantastic. Craig, feel free to drop off when you're ready. Um, if anybody's watching in the stream, there are some people watching the stream. The stream's going to go a little wonky for a second, but fear <laughs> I not. I think I have the, the answer to that um, uh, going forward. But yeah, tonight it's going to, it's going to, the, the visuals are going to go off the charts. <laughs> yep. All right, not. everybody. Here comes the wonk. Thank you again. Uh, good night, Craig. Uh, I had a good time for joining us. Talk Thanks. to you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Oh, so close. So close. Stabilize, stabilize visuals. Bring us about, Mr. Everson. Oh, man. Engage patron shoutouts. Yes. So thank you very much to Randy Farmer, the old school DM. Our very own Sean Merwin, the Mad Wizard. Troy Sandlin. Chris Constantine. Cindy Moore. Eric Simon. Mirko Frolik. Andrew Demps. Brandon Barnes. And Brantley Harris. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, you're welcome. Come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. And if you cannot make the live show, check out our podcast each week wherever you get your podcasts. Take a listen to some of the other shows in the Strength of Mark Network, such as Mastery Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Candy's Talking Games, <clears throat> The Gnomecast, The Lounge, Otis Experience, Jean-Hu Hustle, where you can hear an episode about the Flying Guillotine, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Night of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming MBS. After you have attempted to leave the town only to find out that your crippling illness will condemn you to spend the rest of your life there, leave us some feedback. You can join us. Uh, you can reach us directly via the old-fashioned emails, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on Twitter. The show, the network, is at misdirectedmark. Uh, one of these guys is Robert M. Everson. Raise your hand. <laughs> one of these guys is GM Gerrymander. And I am DNA Phil. All right. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhengu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhengu Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. I feel like there's a pattern there. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, which we haven't done one in a while, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. And for the record, that pandas talking games, not panties talking games. That's I a whole different show. <laughs> yes, it is. But this show. has been a Mr. Mark production. The media are recorded designs. Mic drop. We out.